I'm Graham West, Disability Sector Consultant at NDS. And again, I'm joined by Daniel Muggeridge, Blue Bike, for the second podcast about communicating to staff in emergencies. Over to you, Daniel, to continue with this important topic. Thanks, Graham. Working with people is never a multi-choice quiz. Communicating in a crisis will always involve decision factors that are intangible and that vary even by the minute. And that's even just for one person. So how do we communicate well for a whole workforce in a crisis context like COVID? Thankfully, at least, we're not alone and many have gone before us. So we're going to talk today through some of the principles and practices that can shape your communication choices in disability service during COVID. The tools and technology mapped out in our previous conversation will become the channels you use to carry the communications we're creating. So we're just going to talk about some principles first. And like walking through a narrow path with danger on both sides, these principles are best used as a guide to finding balance while avoiding the extremes. They don't write the communications for you, but they can shape thinking and decision-making as you prepare to communicate. So we're just going to touch on three. Those are empowering, aligning, and being relational. Over to the first of those, empowering. Team members want to be empowered to do their best work in every situation. When a crisis takes away the familiarity of routine, they need more communication than ever to help them navigate the unfamiliar situations. So you need your team to feel that they are capable of handling the specific choices and actions within their role and responsibility, even if it's not business as usual. So the two extremes to avoid here are being controlling or being absent and reactive. Controlling, people just don't like being told how to do every detail of their work. Treat them like adults and they'll be more likely to behave that way. People want to be able to contribute their own thinking. They don't want to be absent or reactive. People don't like being left alone with no guidance at all or no engagement and only given help when something's already broken. So let's make sure we're empowering. We want to be aligning. Team members don't all have the same understanding of your long-term objectives, even if you've told them many times before. Every communication is potentially an opportunity to reinforce your team's awareness of the strategic direction of your business. Linking the current decision or instruction to its long-term contribution gives purpose to the message and enables team members to take a sense of ownership in the outcomes. So there are two things to avoid here, either the short-term only focus or the long-term only focus. With the short-term only focus, the risk is that the instructions undo or divert from longer-term goals. And if you're only focused on the long-term, the risk is that strategic focus doesn't apply or address the current need. So to the last of the three principles, relational. Your team members are people, not robots. People have unique emotions, ideas, thoughts, as well as physical and mental strengths and limits. Communication in the workplace, especially during a crisis, must always respect the whole person and embrace the diversity of people in your team. Communication in the workplace, especially during a crisis, must always represent the whole person and embrace the diversity of the people in your team. 
This may lead to a mix of communication methods or channels, adding reminders and follow-ups, asking rather than telling, and allowing time for changes to sink in. So the two things to avoid here, the two extremes to avoid, are the minion mindset, always being directive with no room for feedback or alternatives, and being anonymous. People don't like being just a number, even when the crisis response demands rapid mass communication. So those are the three principles, covering again, empowering, aligning, and relational. And the practices that build on those are to initiate communication involving a series of decisions determining how and what you communicate. And the outline here is only a primer. You'll do well perhaps to contact us for more thorough treatment that addresses your specific context. So the steps in brief are, number one, define the purpose of communicating. Number two, set an appropriate timeline. Number three, identify a sender and audience. Number four, identify the response type. Number five, choose the channel. And number six, use the tools. Fleshing out these in a little bit more detail, uh, the first point is to, to define the purpose of communicating. Why does your audience need this information? It may be an external compliance change or an emerging health risk. So just be clear on why it needs a communication and what the outcome is that you expect from it. Digging into the second of the, of the list, set an appropriate timeline. Is this a crisis response that needs immediate action? Or in fact, is it just business as usual that can fit into a regular routine? Number three, identify sender and audience. Apart from the obvious direction of information flow, this clarifies the authority, the level of importance and the scope for recipients. This is also an opportunity to collaborate so recipients can see their leaders working together on the big or complex topics being addressed, especially in a crisis. Number four, to identify the response type, just be explicit about how you want recipients to respond, if at all. For example, just yes or no, a signed document, information gathering, group decision-making. Give them a specific means to respond. For example, the phone call, the email, the form, the web link, the app button. Just be clear. Point number five, to choose the channel. Out of all the technologies in our previous discussion, some will be more useful than others for a specific communication. You can choose just one or a primary one with the secondary pointer or multi-channel parallel campaign. Remembering that people don't like being bombarded or harassed, they also appreciate polite reminders when they've forgotten something. So a multi-layered communication usually strikes a good balance. And lastly, with the use of tools, following our previous conversation about the tools and technologies of communication in the current context, don't just keep using the same old methods you have in the past. Part of choosing the channel is to use all the relevant tools. So finally, in application of this, as hinted at at the start of this discussion, communicating with a diverse workforce is not a formula. It must adapt to your available technology and tools. It must respect your people and their capability, and it must align with your organizational culture and intended objectives. If you need help in any of these areas, please reach out and ask. Your team members will, and eventually your participants will thank you for it. Thanks, Daniel. We appreciate your insights.
If you missed the previous podcast on this topic, it's called Comms in Crisis, Tech and Tools. You can contact Bluebike by emailing info at bluebike.com.au or calling on 1300 653 921 or visit the Bluebike website, which is at bluebike.com.au.